Hi, folks. Steve Urban here. Today's episode of the Rutterflex podcast is sponsored by Marketing 360. My good friend J.B. Kellogg and his team do such a fantastic job for us and so many other companies. Marketing 360 is the number one platform for small business, and it's everything you need to grow your business. If you need marketing support, I really encourage you to contact them at marketing360.com slash writerflex, and we'll add that link to the description of this episode for easy reference. And on today's episode of the Riderflex podcast, we have Eric Shepard. He was the CEO and co-founder of Trill Travel, which is now a Lonely Planet company, and he's currently the VP of Lonely Planet Ventures. You still got full head of hair, man. I like that LinkedIn picture. My you got that weird. Totally bald, so I'm lucky. Oh. Both my grandfathers were bald very early, um, and he had a great set of hair too. And I'd say maybe a couple of years ago, he's so mid 30s. He just got crushed. He's got nothing oh. left. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. So I'm lucky. Fortunate. I'm the middle middle child, so I got that uh, lucky <laughs> hair with the middle child syndrome. I guess. Great having Eric Shepard on the Riderflex podcast today. So Eric, let's see. You you live in New York, but you're not there today, right? You're you're somewhere else, I think. You 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 escaped for yep. a little bit. So I escaped. I, I miss New York very much. I miss the energy. I miss the food. But I escaped to my in-laws in Cincinnati. So I've been here about two months. Um, definitely get a, a lot of space here and a nice grill to to cook. But uh, miss the energy and and everything about New York. Uh, hopefully get there soon. But who knows. Okay. All right. So your in-laws, so you're married? Uh, fiance. I just called the in-laws. I've been with her about eight years now. So uh, we'll get married one day. Okay. Who knows? All right. Sounds good. No kids yet? No kids yet. No kids Okay. Yet. So, where, so where'd, you grew, where'd you grow up? Give us, give us some personal stuff here. Yeah, you know? sure. So I grew up in um, Scarsdale, New York. Uh, it was about 30 minutes north of the city. Nice, nice suburb. Um, enjoyed childhood there. Um, then I went off to Indiana University, went to the Midwest a little bit, big college basketball fan, big, oh. you know, party school uh, fan, good business school too. But uh, that was fun to just get out of the city a little bit. Um, but then was itching to get back um, and started my career um, in the music space, kind of an interesting niche. Um, the company did music for hotels and restaurants and retail. Uh, and then they also did a lot of sound systems. So we would design and install sound systems for uh, Ian Schrager's hotels and Nobu restaurants and things like that. So a really cool company. I was there for about eight years, kind of started as an assistant and then was, you know, helped really run the company and sell the company. Uh, we ended up selling it uh to a company called touch tunes the virtual jukebox kind of players uh so I was there for about eight years then i left then i joined um, a really cool startup in uh, the front of house crm systems uh for restaurants and, and nightclubs and and was there for a little bit and always kind of had this um entrepreneurial drive and was working on this this side project and you know, was almost 30 and said, I got to make some real money. And uh, the only way to do that is, is really starting your own company. So made the leap and uh, started my own company in uh, about three years ago in, in 2017. 
And how did you de- how did you decide on Trill? I mean, how did you get there from from music? So so I understand where the entrepreneurial piece come from came from because yeah. when you were, you were with uh, the media group company, uh, being involved in their growth and their sell that probably hooked you right. That probably you're, you're probably like, oh, okay, that's how this works. So you yeah, can yeah, totally. <laughs> Uh, so I see where the entrepreneurial bug came in, but how did you decide on the company you started in that particular space? Go ahead. Yeah. So my first kind of entrepreneurial journey took me back when I, uh, I studied abroad in Barcelona, uh, in college for a semester. Amazing. Probably the best experience of my life. Um, and Facebook was just starting to come out a little bit. I don't think Yelp was around yet. Uh, this is about 15 or, or 18 years ago. And um, I got all these requests for people that were going abroad the next year. Hey, uh, you know, obviously, what are the best restaurants? Where should I go? What should I do? What are the best airlines to fly? Where should I get my laundry that they're not going to steal it? Who could <laughs> fix my computer? Um, little things like that. So a friend and a, uh, uh, me and a friend created this I call it like a lifestyle guide or blog um, called a broad handbook, basically passing down that handbook for students studying abroad. Smartphones weren't really around then. Um, so this was just like a side project. We did it in about 10 cities. Nothing really ever happened with it, but that was okay. kind of my first entrepreneurial experience. Loved the travel space. Uh, my grandma lived very close to uh, JFK airport. And my brothers and I would always look as kids, say, point out the airplanes. Oh, that's Delta. Oh, that's Lufthansa. Oh, that's Hawaiian Air. So that was just a fun game that, that we played. Um, my older brother, when he was three, my mom took him to see Santa Claus. And uh, he says, what do you want for Christmas? And he says, I want LaGuardia Airport. <laughs> so we've always been a been a travel family love the travel space uh, my older brother's been in the industry um his whole career he went to the cornell hotel school and then he's worked at Soul house and starwood and marriott and now he's at ihg um so him and i have always kind of loved the the travel space so i was in the music company uh, but i was working with hospitality companies so my clients were all hotels um, and restaurants. So love that space a lot. Um, and then when, when Trill kind of came up, uh, I saw a big shift in where people were going to get their inspiration. And it wasn't TripAdvisor anymore. Mm-hmm. People weren't reading reviews, at least the millennial demographic, you know, didn't really care about a review in uh, this hotel from some random person in, in Wisconsin. Um, they were going to their social media and they were looking at all these amazing places that people in their network or people that followed or inspired uh, went to. um, And they wanted to replicate those experiences. This person is at an unbelievable waterfall in Maui. Where is that? How do I get there? How do I do that? Um, And no one was really connecting the dots. So you could go into the map on Instagram and zoom in and see, oh, that waterfall is an hour outside of Maui. Then what are you going to go to? Then you're going to go to Google and kind of do all that search, you know, all that and and start that whole process. So I really wanted to build something that connected those dots. I just saw the trend going that way. Um, And then there was a big trend in uh, 
um, making things shoppable on, on social media. So people okay. were doing this in fashion, swipe up and buy this sweater at uh, Bloomingdale's. And, you know, people were doing that. So why wouldn't they go and say swipe up and check out this experience and you could book a tour to this, you know, waterfall park or, or whatever, or this hotel or et cetera. I didn't think it was the same notion where, you know, it's not an impulse purchase. So people aren't going to swipe up and buy the sweater for $99 the same way they would swipe up and book four nights in Barcelona. Right. But I did think if that content was there at the right place at the right time, you'd have something there. Um, so that's when I kind of went out and, and created, um, looked for a tech partner. I tell people um, in New York or anywhere, finding a CTO is harder than finding a wife um, <laughs> in New York. Yeah, so because you're not you're, you're, yeah, because you're not a developer, you're not a coder, so you you knew right away, yeah. hey, who I got to find a partner that can do that piece. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So right. I went out and I really wanted someone in New York. I've done some work with some people freelance that are outside in in Europe or India or, or Russia, and um, just really struggled. So really wanted to find someone in New York. Obviously, that's the most expensive thing. And, uh, you know, talking to some investors early. And when I started my company, all I did was I had 10 or 15 calls every day just networking. You oh, know, really? who can you introduce me to? Who, who should I be talking to? What do you think of this idea? Like, I was just booked every day and I'll hit anyone and, and everyone and I don't care. <laughs> so, <laughs> and now, know, now when, you were, when you were... Email. Well, sorry to interrupt. When you were doing that, were you still working your other full-time job or you had already quit? Um, so I had the idea and was kind of working on it on the side okay. when we were selling the other music company, but okay. I wasn't ready to take the jump yet. And okay. then, you know, just working on it a little bit at that other company. Okay. Um, but it just, you know, I was used to doing everything in a company mm. and then I moved to just doing sales, like technology sales. And I was just bored. Um, and I wanted to be involved in, in all aspects of the business. So um, I was probably emailing some people a little bit looking for tech and, and things like that and having some people do some freelance work in New York on the side, but not really talking, not really doing the networking and everything until I was full blown um, doing it full time. So you were networking, you were asking people about your idea, you were kind of sourcing potential investors and trying to find your co-founder that was a tech person all at the same time. Yes. And my <laughs> older brother, you know, in the hospitality space kind of acted as you could call him another co-founder, you can call him an investor. Okay. Um, but he never came on full time. He was just another ear to have. Um, right. He'd come to some meetings here and there. Um, and invested money and, and things like that. But it was basically my my kind of baby. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. All right. How'd you find your co-founder? Talk to me about that moment. So I never really, I wouldn't call him a co-founder. Um, I found I found a tech guy that I really liked um, out of New York. And he was, uh, he built a mobile concierge uh, concept. Um, so he had a little bit of the hospitality tech background. He said, Hey, listen, I really like what you're doing. I'm in between jobs. I'm starting another job um, in two months and I can help you now. You, uh, you know, if this blows up, I'll come on full time, but you probably can't afford me. Um, I don't know. He was probably making 250 a year or something like that. Right. And you know, these guys are the hottest commodities right now. Mm -hmm. um, so he said, I have a guy in Milwaukee 
that uh, does a lot of work with me and he's on the cheap. So we can kind of work together on this and build it for you. So we kind of came up with the price um, and went for it. And you know how that goes. Nothing was, nothing was perfect. And it was a lot of telephone because my guy in New York wasn't doing a lot of the work. It was the guy in Milwaukee who was doing most of the work, but I wasn't really talking with him. And, mm. you know, they said they could design, but they couldn't really design. So, you know, the back end was starting to work a little bit, but it was very choppy. And then, you know, timelines kept going on and they weren't hitting their timelines. And then I started talking to the freelancer in Milwaukee a little bit more and we were kind of clashing because it was a lot of telephone because I wasn't talking to him in the beginning. So it was a little bit of a mess. And then the new, and then um, the New York guy said, okay, I'm kind of starting my new job and, you know, phasing out a little bit. And I said, this guy in Milwaukee is kind of a pain in the butt. Um, can we find someone else? So we started looking for someone else. We couldn't find anyone for that price. He said, just start working with him one-on-one um, and see if he could just finish it. So we started doing that and had a much better relationship with him. And he ended up being my, you want to call him CTO, whatever. He was basically my employee for two years. I see. Um, he had some how, other how, are you, stuff. how are you funding that? Because you, you didn't have any revenue. What was there, Were you yeah. bootstrapping your own cash? Uh, everything was bootstrapped. So I, I listened to a great podcast once with Airbnb and who start, who founded their, uh, you know, funded their first round was uh, Amex, Discover Card, Visa Card. <laughs> yeah. Card. So I yeah. maxed out every credit card I could. Did you uh, really? Wow. Plus you took yeah. some cash, a little cash from your brother, maybe you said. Was yeah, there other? He, yeah, he took, he gave me a little bit of cash and then he was maxing out credit cards on his name and my wow. name. And, wow. you know, it was getting deep. It was in selling savings. So I was kind of all in uh, on this. Everyone I talked to said from an investment standpoint, you know, you can't raise money on a deck anymore. You can't even rate, it used to be maybe five, seven years ago, you give me an MVP, give me that minimal viable product that works, have a customer or two, then you can raise some money. That's not even good enough. It's yeah. come to me when you're doing a hundred grand a month. Right, right. <laughs> so you're bootstrapping, doing grand. <laughs> yeah. you're bootstrapping yeah. this, and now bootstrapping, putting, raising a bunch of, or building up a bunch of debt on your credit cards. Yeah. Where were you, yeah. were you like living in a little apartment by yourself? Like where, how were you eating yeah. and surviving? I was, you know, eating was tough. It was a lot of rice. It was, a lot, you know, um, it was definitely tough. And I spent all my money on food. So I'm a big food guy. So I definitely was cooking a lot more than, uh, than going out. Sure. Okay. Now, what were your parents? Were you, are you, were you close to your parents? Were, were, were they saying, yeah, yeah, very, were they, very were, were they saying like, Hey, like, like what, what the hell are you doing? Like how'd that conversation go? No, I mean, I think they knew I was very driven um, and they, you know, obviously loved what I was doing, but you know, there were times where maybe it was at the six month mark or maybe at the year mark, are you thinking about looking at another job or you think, you know, that kind of came up a little bit and, you know, I had, I had thresholds that, okay, if I'm not, you know, maybe it's a year and a half, maybe it's two years, something like that. Um, I had different thresholds that I had to meet, but I, I was okay. just like, you know, my goal was just proving people wrong. I, I was okay. doing that as a kid. Um, I, I had learning issues growing up. I would um, be in some of the lower level classes. They'd say I have a fifth grade reading level in ninth grade. And I'd be like, that's retarded, but whatever. <laughs> uh, and then they say, okay, you can't go to these schools or you, you're probably not going to be able to go abroad, but you need over a 3.0 or something. So I just have this prove people wrong. You know, okay. you just grab me up and I'm going to get it done. 
How long um, did you? Uh, how long did you it take before you got revenue? Talk to us a little bit about the the, the short. I know Trill had a pretty yeah. short history before it was acquired. Give us the like. How long did you go before revenue started? And then did you ever hit profitability? And walk us through the eventual yeah, sure. uh, acqu so, acquisition. I, I'd say it took about a a good year to get to a solid beta, um, okay. where we were starting getting some users and testing and. Um, that sort of thing. And then on the other side, I was building the, the partnership side to make everything bookable. Okay. Um, so I had about 30 booking partners, everyone from booking.com to direct hotels with, with uh, IHG and things like that on the, on the booking side for hotels and accommodations. Um, okay. Then I had companies like Get Your Guide, um, who's one of the biggest uh, activity providers to book those tours and, and things like that. Um, and then I connected with Open Table and Resi and Quando, which is kind of the Open Table um, of Europe. So it was kind of building those partners out on one side, trying to get influencers and content creators to sign up and, and engage with it. Um, and then we kind of came to this problem where, hey, we'll sign up an influencer that has 10,000 photos on their Instagram. So we got basically how it worked was, the influencers connected their um, Instagram account to our system. We would pull that, um, pull their content and then um, physically match it. Okay, is this a hotel? Is this a restaurant? Is this an activity? And then that would cue which booking partner it would go to. I but see. it became such a manual process in the beginning um, when we started getting a lot of content um, just kind of talking to to a bunch of people and and talking to my uh, you know CTO, he said, I think we need some AI uh, technology to start looking at this content and automating it because you know you're going to need a staff to go through all this content and with AI and all this. So we built this really good machine learning tool that went in and looked at every single photo and matched it with the best booking partner in addition to categorizing it to this photo's at a hotel, this photo's at a restaurant, this photo's at an activity. And that really became the bread and butter of, of the company. So being able to take any piece of content and looking at the photo through Google's facial recognition, through Amazon's recognition, um, through location, and kind of putting all those things together and saying, okay, where is this? What type of category is it? And then, okay, based on that, and based on the location, we could push it to the right booking partner. Um, so that yeah. was really the, the mm -hmm. ecosystem and the tech that solidified Trill as, as kind of being this AI marketplace uh, for bookable experiences. Gotcha. Okay, so now is this proprietary software that was yep. built? No. Okay, great. Yep. 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 So, okay. Um, okay. so that, okay. that helps. That helps. And then, uh, um, and then, and then you started having – so now you have – software that's worth that's worth something and you have users and you're starting to drive revenue uh, were you did you hit profitability at some point before you sold it no not not there yet um the numbers that we were showing that were really good um was the the booking intent so okay. most people's intent to book is at you know two to five percent we were seeing people clicking and really engaging at almost anywhere from 15 to 20%. So they were really engaged with the content and interested to kind of keep the ball rolling. Um, so that was something good. 
our our bounce rate was just unbelievable. So people use a lot of these companies have a bounce rate of, of 70%, 80%. Our bounce rate was at like 30%. So people were coming to the site and super engaged. Um, wow. They were staying for a while. The average site time was a couple minutes. Um, so we had really good numbers. The problem is we just didn't have traffic. Um, and our and the bookings we did get, so we did get some bookings, nothing crazy. Um, but we did get some bookings and our, the average booking was super high. Okay. Which it's a small subset, but it just shows that, you know, the ecosystem was a little bit of a higher end ecosystem maybe. Um, and that was just a good, uh, good asset to have. So those are kind of the key things, you know, and, and for me, I, I was trying to push the influencers to drive traffic, um, and build it that way. So I didn't have to spend as much money. Uh, so the micro influencers, the smaller influencers were happy to do it. I see. This sounds cool. Let's, you know, I'll put your link. So each influencer got a link. They could put that in their bio, check my bio to book my travel. Or if they have enough followers, they could put it in their Instagram story and say, swipe up to book. I see. Okay. Um, okay. Very good. So, so uh, okay. Sorry, now so the micro people were down to do it but they didn't drive enough traffic because they're small. Mm. The bigger people, they mm. all wanted money, big mm. money. Uh, right. <laughs> so, you know, it was, it was a catch 22 and I would win all these. I won a bunch of pitch competitions. I was in one of the biggest travel accelerators I got into out of San Francisco called plug and play. I won a huge award for focus, right? Which is the biggest travel technology conference in the world for like, 35 under 35 most innovative people in travel. So, you know, I, I was getting the pedigree uh, and everyone I talked to was saying, hey, you know, we like what you're doing, but you're just too early or too early or too early. Um, and it just got to a point where I said, I have a lot here. Why can't I just talk to a bigger travel company and say, this is what I have. This is what I can offer you. This is what you're missing. This is the future. Yeah. Let's do something together. So, you know, from talking to investors for a year, um, I woke up one morning and this was the beginning of 2019 and, you know, went on a, went on a vacation with, uh, with my fiance's family and got some, got some time to just kind of think about it. And that day, that, that first week of January was all focused on here are 15 companies that make sense for me. Let's go after them at the highest level. Um, I'd say about 13 of them responded and this is CEO level or COO. It's as high as I can go. Right. Um, I'd say 13 of them responded. I'd say six or seven of them are, are interested in either signing NDAs or kind of going through, through the motions. Um, and then I got a couple offers, um, in, and it was like a three month period of just super focused on that. So that's pretty um, good. That's pretty good. That, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it worked out, it worked out really well. I think timing's everything. Uh, when you think of these things, obviously there's a lot of hard work involved, but I think timing is, is super important. Um, when you look at situations like this, I mean, if I started this company and was in a similar situation than I was with coronavirus, it would have huh. been good right. luck. Yeah, it would have been good luck. So you got enough uh, on the on the the payout to get get money back to people that invested and make a little money yourself, but but not enough for you to retire, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, nothing, nothing like that. Um, was able to pay off all the debt. 
was able to put some money back in savings um, and got yeah. a great opportunity at, at Lonely Planet. And they really made the most sense. Um, they hired a new CEO who, who I really clicked with, who's my new boss, um, Luis. And he came in, he kind of saw the vision and, you know, it was just, a, it was a great match. Okay. Now, now you've tasted what it's like to be an entrepreneur and be your own boss and be captain of the ship and all yeah. of those things, right? Which is, which is very, very hard, but also special in so many ways. And you built something to be proud of that somebody else purchased. What's it feel like now to just be a, an employee again? Uh, and you got to like, hey, you got to like sign up for vacation time. And I tell somebody, hey, I'm, I, can I take off on Friday afternoon and go? You, know, you didn't have to do that for a few years. You're yeah, doing whatever yeah. you wanted. How how's that feel? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think I'm in a really good situation. Um, I work uh, at a New York, the corporate office is in Nashville. Um, I go there about once a month when things are things are cooking. We do have a small office in New York. Um, I do miss the bigger, uh, you know, when I'm there, it's great to kind of be around uh, everyone. But uh, my, my boss is super lenient, um, still gives me a lot of flexibility. Uh, so I don't feel like someone's kind of breathing down my neck all the time, which is, which is awesome. Um, so I think I'm kind of in that zone where it's, you know, go kind of do your thing, um, help us in, in these different ways, but it gives me the freedom to kind of come up with, with new ideas and, and different projects and things like that. So, I, I think it's an ideal situation. I don't feel like I've heard some of these other situations that they come in and they're miserable and they can't do anything and, and that sort of thing. But, but I'm really in a good position. I'm basically running this new department, uh, which we're calling ventures. It's not VC and investments. It's more new ventures, new products, new revenue streams, helping out on a lot of strategic partnerships. Uh, so the first project I launched, which was awesome was, um, our own branded experiences. So Lonely Planet's been driving tons of bookings in the experience category for a long time. Obviously one of the hottest categories right now. Uh, we went in and kind of created our own branded experiences. So launched a little over 300 of those globally in January. Started off really hot. Obviously with COVID, no one's moving right now. So uh, that's a bummer. But uh, you know, adding more partners and building that when, when we come up and, and there's a bunch of other exciting things I'm working on. So I don't really feel that burden. Um, I still feel a little bit of freedom. Uh, so I think this was kind of the perfect transition um, back into the corporate life. Was there a ride along deal when you sold it? Was there like a two year ride along contract or something like that? You know, I got very lucky um, when we were kind of doing that. I figured there'd be something and they were like, if you want to leave tomorrow, you could leave tomorrow, okay. um, which is okay. rare. So if you don't want to be here, you don't have to be here, but um, definitely enjoy being there. So uh, it's, when, it's, when, it's nice. when you decided to sell, did you decide to sell it because you had just, you know, you were out of gas. I mean, you had just busted ass for two and a half years, three years. And you're just like, man, I just don't know if I can do this or, or you, what, what was that trigger point? And, and do you think to yourself now, like, damn, I should have kept going for another two years. So that's a two part mm -hmm. question. Yeah, no. Um, I think it was a combination of a few things. I think I was definitely burnt out a little bit. Okay. Um, still had the fire, still believed in it for sure. Um, I saw the times changing. 
um, with Cambridge Analytica and with Facebook and privacy and things like that. So, okay. you know, who, who knows where social media was going to go in, in the next couple of years. Um, so I think there was, there was a few factors that, that kind of came in. Um, I don't look back and say I should have kept going. I think no. okay. I, I made the right decision. Um, you, you know, and, and I'm okay. thrilled that, okay. that I uh, was able to, to make something and, and have a great kind of first crack. And I, I started my first company and, you know, got on base. Right. Um, I mean, yeah, seriously, no, ser yeah. seriously, congratulations. Yeah. You started something, yeah. you built something and somebody uh, paid you money for it. I mean, that's a major, yeah. a major accomplishment. Now I think you, so the entrepreneurial bug's still going to be in there. I mean, it's still going to kind of eat away. Oh, of course. Just, just a little bit. I, I can almost see your, your brother or somebody calling you saying, Hey man, uh, I got an idea. Let's go over here and do this. Thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, lonely, lonely planet for the listeners real quick. Can you give the, uh, the five minute lonely planet overview, just in case somebody's listening to this episode and they, they've never heard of it and just talk to us about it. Sure. So Lonely Planet, I think it's about 45 years old, maybe a little bit older. Uh, it was a husband and wife out of Australia, and they backpacked through the world and documented it in, in kind of this first guide format. Um, and everyone just ate it up. Uh, and they became the largest guidebook player out there. Uh, super huge in, in Australia. That's where they were based in Europe and, and really just kind of became this global name. Uh, they sold the company, this husband and wife, to the BBC out of London. Mm. Uh, they had it for a couple years, maybe 10, 15 years, I'm not really sure. And then um, someone out of Nashville uh, bought it in maybe about seven or eight years ago. Uh, so the headquarters moved to, to Nashville. Um, big digital presence now. The guidebooks are kind of, you know, still, still a big part of it. Um, a, a, a bummer uh, is that we kind of had to put the guidebooks on hold during coronavirus, which is just, uh, you know, kind of disappointing, but, you know, hopefully get back to them soon as, as that's kind of the roots, but, you know, everything's evolving now and what that guidebook and how much it costs to create. Um, obviously economics are changing, but uh, you know, people come to us for inspiration. People come to us because we're credible in, in the travel space, um, really kind of building this digital travel uh, content right now and, and being a real travel publisher um, in the digital sense is, is important. Um, writing a little bit more about COVID right now, just to, when it pertains to travel, people aren't interested in what are the coolest attractions to go to in London right now. Um, it's more of what are the airlines doing? What are your loyalty points? Uh, what are your loyalty points going to be worth? Can you still use them? Those sort of things. Um, what parts of the country are starting to open up? road trips are obviously going to be hot right now. Where are the first places you're going to feel comfortable going? Um, so there's a big content uh, point there. And then we have, we're basically the encyclopedia of travel. So every, every single point of interest in the world um, that's travel related or some has some sort of tourist information, we have information on that. So um, we're doing some interesting things and in, in licensing some of our content out now and, um, building these experiences. And um, we just launched um, Lonely Planet TV as part of a, a subscription service ah. um, that we have uh, as our guides app that we just uh, did an update for. So now we have all of our destination guides in one app. 
um, with a TV subscription kind of built in. So looking at more of a subscription model. So, you know, just trying to push forward and um, digital first. And it's, it's an exciting brand and travel will come back. Uh, it's only a matter of time. Everyone loves to travel. Um, but the next year to 18 months are, are going to be difficult for sure. Yeah, for the listeners, by the way, we're recording this episode on May 14th, 2020. So uh, the coronavirus situation is still happening uh, as of the recording of this podcast. That's what we're referencing in case you're listening to this two years from now. Um, okay, thanks for that overview, Eric, on Lonely Planet. By the way, it's lonelyplanetcontentlicensing.com, I guess, is the official URL. Is that right? No, it's just lonelyplanet.com. Uh, oh, um, it is? Oh, okay. Licensing is just a uh, landing page, uh, more of a B2B site for uh, uh, partners interested in licensing our content. It's lonelyplanet.com. Okay, appreciate you clarifying that for me. Thank you very much. All right, very good. So, you know, lots of aspiring entrepreneurs, startup founders, things like that. They, they, they listen to the podcast, uh, the Rider Flex show. What would you tell somebody that, um, you know, has an idea and wants to start something, uh, but, you know, they were, you know, kind of similar, they were in your situation, didn't have a lot of money, uh, you know, hadn't, you know, hadn't talked to anybody about raising any cash, they're working a regular job, put them in your situation like you were, what advice would you give them knowing what you know now? <laughs> yeah, well, well, something interesting that I've been reading a lot uh, is that most people that most serial entrepreneurs say they have their most success in creating a business during a downturn, uh -huh. uh, which is something which is something to think about. Um, I would say make sure you're solving a real problem, um, mm -hmm. not a problem that you think you have or you think your friends have. Make sure you're solving a real problem for for multiple people. Um, go out there and network, um, talk to as many people as you can in the industry, get their advice. People are willing, if you ask them nicely and hit them at the right time, people are willing to, to give you a couple minutes and, and give you some advice. Um, so yeah, that, 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 those would be kind of my, my places to start. Um, and just go for it. And just go for it, right? Just go, go for it. You know, one, one of the things that I'm picking up on yeah, you strike me as the type of guy that you would just pick up the phone or email or or send a LinkedIn message or to anybody anytime. You got nothing okay. to lose. You got yeah. nothing to lose. <laughs> yeah, some of those some of those deals you closed and some of those relationships you just went for it. I mean, just calling executives. Yeah. By the way, any advice there? Any advice there on opening doors to somebody you're trying to connect with? Any tips you want to give people to to tell them like how do you how to get somebody to to talk to me? <laughs> yeah, I, I just make sure that it's super concise, super clear, and give them an opportunity to show wh where your value is. So how can you help them? How can you help them? That's really so yeah. important. I mean, some of these messages I get from people trying to trying to sell me stuff or tell me about it, they're, just, they're just terrible. They're Brutal. terrible. It's got to be short and sweet. I, I mean, some of these are just are, are really four or five paragraphs long. It's You're, you're dreaming. Yeah. I totally agree. By the way, great tip for the listeners. Yeah, if you're sending me a, a, an initial email to try to get my attention on any topic, if it's longer than a couple of sentences or maybe a paragraph, like I'm not reading it. Just I'm not going to read it. <laughs> it's automatic yeah. delete. I don't care what the topic is. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, good, good uh, advice for the listeners. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, so at this point now, then when Eric wakes up every day, 
what does he see his core purpose as? Like, how would you define your core purpose in life at this stage where you just sold a company, now you're helping Lonely Planet? Where are you in life? What's, what, what is Eric's core purpose moving forward? Yeah, I'm still hungry. I'm still hungry to be successful and, and be challenged and learn every day. Uh, that, that's really the key. Um, I don't want to be bored. Uh, I want to just keep pushing forward, um, and, and really be challenged. Yeah. You strike me as a guy that would get bored super easy. If I was your CEO, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be making damn sure that uh, you were involved in some strategy conversation and you had plenty of projects or else you, you would be, uh, but you know, I'm proactive. I'll try to make something out of nothing anytime too. Okay. Yeah. Gotta very good. Well, congratulations, my friend. At an early age, you built a company and sold it. Uh, great you. job. I mean, hey, that's a, that is a major accomplishment that not a lot of people get to do. I have a feeling it's in the cards for you again down the road here. I mean, I'm sure you're going to do a great job at Lonely Planet. Maybe you stay there for 10 years. I don't know. But uh, something tells me I'm going to see you down the road. We're going to be having a conversation about something else. We'll see. We'll see. Definitely hanging, hanging out for now. No, no real interest in, uh, in anything right now, but, uh, you know, I, I like it on the other side for now, health insurance and that direct deposit <laughs> is nice to have. <laughs> right. Not having to eat ramen noodles. So you can like actually uh, go out to dinner and yeah, you got some money yeah. to spend. <laughs> yeah. It's nice. So no rush, but yeah, I definitely have the drive and, and you never know. Um, but definitely, chilling for for a while your fiance is she an entrepreneur too or or is she, uh, she... no but she's more successful than me so uh, she's she's a workaholic she's an animal she's in the ad tech uh space and and runs sales for for a startup and she works like crazy gotcha okay very good well eric thank you so much for being on the rider flex show and sharing your inspirational story i really appreciate it thank you this was fun the RiderFlex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. Our show can be heard just about anywhere these days, but you can visit RiderFlex.com and click on the podcast page to hear all the previous episodes and learn more about the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Contact us at the email address info at riderflex.com or 888-964-5876. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoy our show, please be sure to subscribe to our channel and like the episodes.